So today's date is August 14th, 2019. And the title to today's message is The Value of a Daughter, 1,000 Generations. In this series, we want to instill in each person the responsibility of transmitting to the next generation the inheritance that the Lord has entrusted to us. Are you guys committed to doing that? In addition, we need the power of the Holy Ghost to complete this work. We need His Spirit in us to finish this to the next generation. In fact, I was worshiping last Wednesday. The Holy Spirit showed me something that brought me to tears. I saw myself standing at the end of an at the end of an altar with Sarah and her future husband. Wow. He showed me that this moment in the future is what we were preparing our daughters for. As John began to tell me this experience that he had just a week ago, I, my tears began to run down my, my face. Not only is it the precious sight of seeing his daughter getting married, but I'm reflecting on my daughters getting married as well. When we see our daughters dancing and just playing around on the dance floor at a wedding, you know what every father's thinking. Soon, that's going to be my daughter dancing in the white dress. Well, in addition to the commonality of having vision for our daughters that will be married one day, John and I share some other commonalities. Number one, we love Jesus. We love to serve this church body. We have Asian DNA. We are only raising daughters. Oh, what a blessing it is to only be raising daughters. What an honor that we have as fathers to develop the value of a daughter that will be fit for a king. Let's turn to Joshua 17, 3 to 4. Now Zelphahad, son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters, whose names were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Terza. There's no reason for us to feel sorry for this father. None. He knew the value of his daughters. This is what God gave him. He did not have a choice. We rejoice in it. We rejoice in having daughters. Right, Mario? Amen. Come right, on. Carlos? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, these are precious jewels that God has given us. Yeah. Let's continue in verse 4. They went to Eleazar the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the leaders, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Well, though he only had daughters, you know what he had the ability to do? Is to pour into them a love for God's standard. To pour into them the ability to go after and fight for the inheritance that was due them. We know that his daughters valued him as a father because they fought to inherit what was rightfully his. That they would become their own possession. I want to raise daughters that reflect this exact same sentiment, this heart, Amen. and this passion. Amen. I'm raising daughters with an understanding that as a father, I will not let you be fearful or fretful. 
I'm not going to teach. I'm, I'm going to teach you how to fight for God's righteous standard. I'm going to teach you how to fight for our family better. I'm teaching my girls how to speak up. When they meet you and greet you, I challenge you to challenge them. Make them look at you, look you in the eye, raise their voice, speak up, stand up, and demonstrate the ability to carry on the inheritance that God has entrusted to me. Amen. Let's turn to Joshua 14, verse, starting in verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard when the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Do you hear that spirit of Caleb? That 85-year-old whippersnapper. He's still got it, man. He is one of the most renowned men in Israel's history as a powerful man of God. He had a different spirit about him. His ability to stay on track with God's righteous standard, the promises that were made. He was willing to be discredited by everyone that surrounded him because he knew what was due him. And now at 85 years old, he says, now give me. Give me that mountain. Give me that area, the stronghold that nobody else wants to conquer, that nobody else can conquer, because I'm still fit for the task. And in Joshua 15, starting in verse 13, in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion of Judah, Karath, Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. Caleb's aim was at the very territory that was possessed by the most formidable enemies, the nation of Israel. He was like that guy that walks into a room and says, I'll take that one, the largest one in the room, I'll fight him. He knew the inheritance that was due him. And he was willing to take on whatever enemy stood before him. Because he knew that the God that he served was greater than the enemy that stood in front of him. We have to have that same spirit of Caleb that will be willing to go to whatever end, overcome whatever enemy there is to possess an inheritance that now we can pass along to our generations. Joshua 15, verse 15 from there he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiras Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa to marriage, in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiras Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. All when reading this, what began to come alive is that Caleb's different spirit, his tenacity to go after his inheritance, 
he goes and he conquers these Anakites, and he comes to the last vestige, Kiryas Sefer. And he looks at it, and I could imagine from his perspective as a father, he stops and he goes, hmm, I bet you I still could take that. Then he looks to his side, and he sees his daughter, Aksa. He says, I offer her up as a prize, a valued prize to be won. If there's a worthy man of God in this troop who can step up and do what I have done. As a father of daughters, we are looking for men who will rise up and be the same kind of leader to our daughters that we have been for their entire lives. Who are willing to conquer the giants that stand before you, entrusting them to you as a perfect easer that will know exactly what to do because you're the kind of leader that we prepare them for. These kind of men guarantee for a father that the inheritance will be preserved and carried on. And that through our daughters. We want to do something now as a visual display of the very thing that we're talking about. John and I want to ask our families with our daughters to come stand up here with us. Come on, girls. Look how beautiful they all are. As you can see from my family, I am approaching the final stages of building the value in my daughters. And I'm just in the beginning stages. (laughs) I'm helping them see the value of themselves and and what they have around them. You know, though I'm approaching the final stages, I can definitely say my work is not done yet. My work is definitely not done yet. (laughs) At the age that they are at now, I'm creating in them an appreciation for the value of God's word and his promises. Amen. I can definitely say that the value of my daughters is still being built. And at this time, I am not offering to any man in this room. Their value increase as they realize the value of what is around them and the banner that they are currently under. Their value is increasing every day, and they will one day be ready to be a precious sacrifice presented to a worthy groom. The value that we have as fathers is found here within our daughters. We love you girls. Y'all take a seat. In this story of Caleb making the call, is there any valiant man who will rise up and take this land and earn the right to take this daughter? Imagine standing there in that crowd. You're listening to it. You know the character, the reputation, the body of work that Caleb has built, and you see the daughter next to him. You're thinking about your own family banner, your tribe that you've come from, and you're standing there equally ready to match what is set before you? What about if what is inside of Aksa, that investment that Caleb has made of who he is into her, is combined with what's inside of me? 
what I've inherited from my father? What about we become a couple that now is more formidable than just our fathers alone? That's like combining two family lines that become one powerful family line. That's combining the strengths of family banner and makes it even more fruitful for the generations. What is required is an understanding of the value of a daughter and her ability to multiply her father's inheritance. Even if you have sons and not exclusively daughters, you can still raise daughters like Caleb did. Yeah. This requires you to pour out into the next generation of sons and daughters, replicating who you are in them, regardless of gender. This is a task that's before us all. But let me describe a few ways in how a father pours into his daughter. We are teaching them how to join a husband under his family banner. We're teaching them how to fight, how to rightly ease and help the leader of her household. We are teaching them how to multiply the inheritance God has given us. And in doing so, we're teaching them the value of a daughter. We value our daughters because we value our inheritance. Brother, I'm not sure they got it. Say it one more time. We value our daughters because we value our inheritance. Amen. In our studies, came across just a simple Hebrew definition of the word daughter, and I found a gem. The word for daughter, Strong's number 1323, is bat. As you see in the bottom section of this slide, one of the English translations is apple of the eye, branch, daughter, first. This began to spark some investigation into other scriptures that speak about a daughter being an apple of an eye. Let's go to Psalm 17, verse 8. Psalm 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your, ring, your, your wings. This speaks of a protective a guarding, a shamar spirit about something that's very precious. So when we say the apple of the eye, we're talking about the very center of your eye, that one thing that you do not want anyone else to touch, that one thing that you want to guard. Every one of us have that reflex that if anything even comes in you know, microns of our eyelash, immediately it closes. I'd say at home, once you give that a try, not right now. Or we'll do a healing service later. But the inference is there is something precious to be guarded that no one else can touch. This is exactly a phrase that is describing the relationship that a father has with his daughter. The way that he views her. Literally views her. Come on, you know what it's like. Fathers, when you go out in public with your daughters. And if any guy turns his gaze in her direction, your eye immediately catches his gaze. And you're watching for every intention. If he takes one more step closer to her, there's about to be some trouble that's happening. A father guards his daughter like a person guards the very center of their eye. From the time they're born, you know, a daughter's every move is within the watchful sight 
of their fathers. I remember one day, long time ago, around 13 years ago, Natalie Claire Piro was in kindergarten. It was the second day. We were pulling up to go pick her up. We were excited, celebrating our first one, making it to school. And there, in a sea of children, I see my daughter holding hands with a young man. I could distinctly pick it out. I knew exactly that that was her, and I had no idea who this young man was. I had to investigate. Well, my wife investigated. She, she looked it in that for me. There's also that watchful eye of a father monitoring what his girls wear when outside the house. It's one beautiful thing about stairs is that I see my girls coming down from their room dressed. I'm like, uh-uh, turn around and go change. You need to put something else back on. Because we're teaching them the standard of clothing themselves in good with good deeds. And those good deeds done with great attitudes. That qualifies a good deed. The true sign of beauty is what we're trying to bring to an understanding within our daughters. That they're more valuable than just the flesh that hangs outside their clothes. A father has a watching of their interaction with everyone, constantly monitoring, are they displaying the content of our family banner? They have a watchful eye. Not long ago, I was preaching, and I noticed Sydney was sitting, kind of on her own in the row that we sit on. And towards the end, there was a, a guest who came and sat next to her. Mm, as I'm preaching, my eyes caught that. And I detected something about this young man that wasn't necessarily the spirit of God inside of him. Some kind of other spirit. And I made up in my mind that although I'm preaching, if he makes one wrong move, this service is going to dramatically shift into his direction. <laughs> because Sidney Isabella is the apple of my eye. And so are the rest of my girls. A father's watchful eye is always looking for the status of their hearts, making sure that it's properly guarded, that it's nurtured, that the things that they desire to do and want to explore are carried out in a way that protects the center of their being, making sure they're invested in with the word of God so that their internal compass is constantly seeking what God's will is, is and no other that's out there. For me, with the ages of my girls, I don't have to worry too much about guys. Not yet, at least. Watch out for kindergarten. We homeschool. <laughs> for me, it's keeping guard of their emotions and their yeah. desires. Yeah. Sarah being downcast because she gets corrected or is excluded from her friends. And she has a tendency to be fearful when she's separated from us. And teaching her that with the presence of God, she has nothing to fear. Amen. Esther, on the other hand, is not scared of anything. We call her the tank. And lives in her own little world. She is overly self-reliant, unlike her sister but needs to learn to be under someone's authority. Yeah. Yeah. As fathers, 
We must guard our daughters like a shepherd guards his sheep. Amen. Turn to Second Samuel 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord, says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There are two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he, that, that he bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. A ewe lamb is a female lamb. Notice the level of care that he had for it. It shared its food. It drank from his own cup. It even slept in his arms. Mm. It was like a daughter to him. Verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. What we hear in this story is that Nathan receives from the living God a heavenly homiletic. The ability to speak to David's shepherd's heart. Illustrating the very symbol of innocence. A ewe lamb that had been in the arms of a father. Like a daughter. That needed to be guarded. Needed to be protected. What comes shortly after this. Nathan says to David, you are the man. You are the man that destroyed this innocence of a ewe lamb that was like a daughter to him. Convicting him of his own sin and the disregard for the value of God's daughter, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. This was a divine illustration aimed at the apple of David's eye. Because he had taken care of so many sheep in this exact position, a ewe lamb, tender, and needing to be guarded. God knew exactly how to get to the center of David's eye and move him to repentance. Let's turn to Zechariah 2, verse 8. For this is what the Lord says. After he has honored me and has sent me against the nations, we have plundered you. For whoever touches you, touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them, so that their slaves will plunder them. Do you hear the intensity of the Lord? Yes. As fathers of daughters, it is our responsibility to guard the value of our daughters, as God has done with Israel. Yeah. With the goal of preparing them to be an inheritance for their future husbands. Yeah. Caring for them as a ewe lamb 
that will bear fruit for her household. Do you think you can poke God in the eye and he not respond? Do you think you can harm his ewe lamb, his daughter, and he not seek justice? Fathers, protect the value of your daughters as the apple of of your eye to ensure that they will be fruitful with his inheritance. What I hear in this, saints, is that God's heart and the way that he values his daughters because he values his inheritance. If I feel the way that I do about my own daughters, how much more does God feel about my daughters? How much more is it an injustice in his eyes when someone has ill towards my daughters? Let me speak to the men in the room. This should strike the fear of God within your heart concerning your thought life. This should strike the heart in a way that cuts it, circumcises it, of what gets in the way between you and God in just your daily thoughts. That what you're thinking about is the apple of God's eye. It is the daughter, the ewe lamb that he loves, nurtures, takes care of, and sees as his own. That fear of the Lord, you know what it will lead to? Wisdom. You know what the fear of the Lord will do? It will lead to knowledge. It will allow you to be victoriously stepping on those thoughts, rising above them to be the kind of victorious man of God that can claim the land and claim Aksa, Caleb's daughter. We value our daughters because we value our inheritance. Fathers, do you value your inheritance? And we will grow in valuing our daughters. Let's turn to John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Somebody say, we have a good father. And we are good children to him. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You hear that? Pruning so that you will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. As fathers, we are pruning. We are preparing our daughters to be blameless and pure brides. Not busybodies and not boat anchors. As fathers... We're preparing daughters worthy of inheriting the land God has given us. As fathers, we must prepare our daughters as an inheritance worthy of a man of God receiving. As fathers, we are multiplying our inheritance through our daughters. This is the value of our daughters. I had the opportunity to sit down with my wife a couple days ago and begin to talk about this subject. And man, the easier that she is to me, the value that she brings me. She is the one that is boots on the ground in training my daughters how to be the daughters that God seeks after, full of righteousness. 
And as we were talking, there were a few phrases that came up. And one was fruitful vine. So in reflection of John 15, I began to think, I want my daughters to be fruitful. There is that pruning process that has to be done by the father because he is invested in his, his daughters because he's invested in his inheritance. But I know there's another scripture speaking of a fruitful vine. I just feel drawn to it. So what I was led to was Genesis 49, 22. Let's all turn there. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. This is speaking to Joseph or being spoken to Joseph by his father. And in doing so, he's pronouncing something that was profound. For those of us that don't speak uh, Hebrew, the English a bit covers over the gem that lies behind some of these words. You know, like when you walk across a wooden floor and you feel a hollow spot, there's something underneath there. I got to dig further. Well, thanks to my easer, she led me on a trail to go find something a little bit further in this passage. So, opened up my PC study Bible, began to word sir, or look for the Hebrew words of this passage. As I began to study, Joseph is a fruitful vine. Vine means son. So let's put up the next slide. This is the uh, interlinear of this passage and where it says a bow, meaning Ben. Strong's number 1121. Well, I looked further and said, you know what? Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful son, a fruitful son near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. If this is one, meaning a son, I wonder what some of the other words may be. That led me to the next one. Branches are a plural form of the word daughter. Let's put up the next slide. A plural form of the word daughter. So the word that we saw previously for bat is 1323. And the conjugation of this is just plural. That's why it doesn't say bat at the bottom. It's banot. Well, in looking at this, I said, this is getting even better. So I have a son, I have a daughter, but is there a father within this passage? Just one verse. That led me to the word spring. The word for spring in this passage is Strong's number 5869, and it is ayin. Ayin. This is the Hebrew word for an eye or a fountain as the eye of a landscape. So reflecting on the function of a father is that he is that center of a landscape that is constantly nourishing, providing water and life to his children. Providing that watchful eye that guards his children and particularly his daughters as the apple of his eye. When a father is pouring into his daughter because he is filled with the springs of life and now giving springs of life. He enables his daughter to grow up into a blameless branch, fit to be joined with a true vine or a true son of God. 
His daughter, when united in marriage to a true son of God, she becomes the very means of how the father's family banner can climb over the wall of his own vineyard. As stated in Genesis 49.22. Stretching out to produce the next generations. Multiplying the father's inheritance and continuing the generational work of God. The scripture came alive because of just a slight nudging. The Holy Ghost gave me on a word that my wife was sharing with me that morning. And it began to open up the function that I play as a father. That as I am tapping into the heavens and receiving that well of life, it now gives me the opportunity to nourish my daughters and ensure the generations after me will receive the inheritance that God has entrusted to me. We value our daughters because we value our inheritance. Do you value your daughters because of your inheritance? Let's turn to Revelation 21, starting in verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. One of the encouragements that I begin to get out of this entire subject, and particularly this scripture, is that I, as a father, I'm not just raising up women. I'm raising up future brides. I'm raising up women of God that will join the family banner of another man of God. And by that unity, by that combination, they're going to carry on the strengths of my family banner. They're going to carry on and grow the land that we have conquered underneath our family banner. That as I'm pouring into them... I am seeking for them to be a holy, unblemished woman of God, fit to be a bride presented at the altar of marriage. I think about that day all the time for all four of my girls, that what it will be like. And as a father, have I done my job? Have I finished? Have I completed my work? Have I worked into my daughters everything that the Lord has given me? There's still more work to be done. I'm not finished yet. I still got some more time that I can pour into them. But you know what the real touching point for me was? Is that I am at no disadvantage by having four daughters. By having them each time that they get married, I gain a son. Each time that they are married and have children, I gain more generations that come from who I am. And that makes them a treasure to me that I want to guard. That brings out the value of who they are. They will further the Piro family banner. And it has nothing really to do with just the spelling of my last name. It has everything to do with the character, the reputation, and the body of work that I've labored underneath my family banner and now instinctively exists within all four of my girls. I can't wait till I'm able to rejoice in the fact that through years of labor, toil, and extreme care, 
that my daughter has ensured that my inheritance will carry over to the next generation. And that what I'm instilling in her is not just what to do, but how to continue on and create and teach her children how to carry on that inheritance. And that's the way that us will carry on to a thousand generations because it doesn't end with us. I would say one of the more defining characteristics of John and Joy, the dang household, is faithful. Absolutely faithful. And it is a joy to stand beside him as a father of only daughters, looking to receive sons as they marry, sons as we make disciples. And I will watch in their children, I will watch what will come from their daughters, that same faithfulness that resides within the dang family. I'm looking forward to the day when I can stand as an old man watching your daughters being married and rejoicing at the sons that you're receiving. You know, by having this newfound son when my daughters are married, join with his bride, the inheritance that God has given me is only going to be multiplied through them. There is no loss at all. That by me offering up my daughter as a ewe lamb, as a precious sacrifice that I've tended to and cared for, it is actually a temporary step to multiplying inheritance. Do you hear the call that God's telling us tonight, church? There's a holy groom awaiting his blameless bride, ready to have her join him under his banner. Are we preparing our children because we're the bride? Are we preparing ourselves to be joined with this groom? Amen. Now's the time to evaluate our hearts and ask the question, am I living like the apple of God's eye? Am I ready to be presented to him as a blameless bride? Am I bearing the kind of fruit that shows that I am drinking from the spring of living water that he provides? As we think through this, the value that God has for our daughters is also the value that he sees within every single one of us. That he wants to instill inside of each and every one of you the treasure that you are to him. And the extent to which he will go to prepare you, to prune you, to correct, rebuke, encourage, and train you. Using his word and using his spirit to bring you to that perfect state that makes you qualified to be part of that bride. I want, I want to be included in the apple of his eye. I want to be included in that radiant and beautiful bride of Christ that descends down and joins her groom. I want to drink from that spring of living water. As we begin to to close, we evaluate these questions in our heart. Let the Lord reveal to you what area, what area in my life right now is preventing me from valuing my own daughters? What area in my life is preventing me from tapping into the living water, that spring of life from my father, just to be able to give to others. 
And as we contemplate that, let's let those obstructions be removed. Let's let our hearts repent of them so that there is nothing but that living water from heaven flowing from us, nourishing our families, nourishing the body of Christ, and something worth taking out to the nations. Let's begin to stand to our feet. Jeremiah seventeen thirteen says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be ridden in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. So there's an opportunity as we begin to go back into worship and have our hearts evaluated in his presence. And that opportunity is, as the Lord reveals something to you, to let his word and his blood crush it. Let it be crushed here at the altar. So you could stand to your feet and be filled with his spirit, which is the help that we all need to guard the good deposit that he's given us. And as we're filled with the spirit, we will be triumphant. We'll be victorious. We will run into any battle and charge because we value our inheritance. We value our daughters and we value our sons. Amen. Let's pray. Mighty God.